Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting, the International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the Internet airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, Ask questions and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys, with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now... Taz and Paula. Well, good morning, Taz. Good morning, Paula. How are you? Well, good. Uh, our guest today, Roberta Grimes, is also an attorney and certified financial planner, practitioner, and is licensed in three states and assists business owners at every stage of business ownership. And Roberta has a very unusual hobby. She had an experience of an unusually bright light when she was eight years old that started her on decades of intensive afterlife research that has birthed some amazing fruit. You are now listening to the International Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula. And I'm Taz. Wow, that must have been quite an experience. can hardly wait to hear more about it. Roberta says she has learned that we have nearly 200 years of abundance and consistent afterlife evidence, which enabled her to assemble a detailed understanding of what death is, who we really are, and what happens to us after we die. She uses quantum physics and consciousness research to show how the greater reality that we enter at death fits with the material uh, reality that we know. Well, the result of uh, Roberta's decades of work, uh, she wrote a book, The Fun of Dying, Find Out What Really Happens Next, which is, was published in 2010 by Greater Reality Publications. And uh, we hear that this is the first book of a trilogy, so we can't wait for the other two books. Roberta, welcome to our show. I'm so happy to be with you. Oh, we're so glad to have you with us. <laughs> so what would you like to hear first? Do you want to hear how how death happens and what happens after death, or do you want to hear what happened when I was eight oh. years old? Well, what oh, yeah, happened to you when you were eight? <laughs> well, I, and, and this is actually uh, not an uncommon experience, but uh, and of course when you're eight, everything seems normal because everything is new. Um, when I, I woke up in the middle of the night in April of 1955, and I realized there's no God, and I was terrified. And in the midst of my terror, there was a bright flash of white light in the room, like burning magnesium, very bright, just a flash. And a young male voice said, you wouldn't know what it is to have me if you didn't know what it is to be without me. I will never leave you again. Wow. You gave me a chill. <laughs> well, the thing is, I thought, oh, that's nice. If you forget, they remind you. Um, oh. and, and I just went on to have a happy, normal life, thinking I would hear about it in church or in school or 
somewhere. I even majored in religion in college, thinking I would finally get to But, of course, people who have this experience never talk about it. It's like near-death experiences were in the early 70s. No one mentioned it because they would just be ridiculed. Um, I, I had a similar experience when I was 20 and was getting very discouraged about the fact that I didn't know what had happened when I was 8. And that was what started me uh, trying to... Und- I figured the only way to learn what that had been would be to study what happens at death. And that's what the, when the door opened for me, as it can for... Actually, it's much easier now to research the afterlife than it was 30, 40 years ago. But there we do have nearly 200 years of abundant and absolutely consistent afterlife evidence. I mean, thousands of accounts from the recently dead or the people who've been dead for a longer period of time received in a variety of ways, and much of the best of it is close to 100 years old. Um, and it is so consistent that you, if you read enough of it, you you develop a very... It's like, I say in the book, it's like reading thousands of accounts uh, over a couple of hundred years by people who went to Fiji. Um, they all, because you're going to Fiji, you want to find out what Fiji's like. They all had different experiences, but they all, obviously from their accounts, they all were in the same place over 200 years. That's exactly how it is to research the afterlife. It's all good news. Um, and that's something people need to know because it's scary to research the afterlife otherwise. I mean, what if you what if you find out something awful um, that, that ruins and blights the rest of your life, you know, life sucks then you die kind of is how you would think. But actually, life does suck, but after it, it's wonderful. That's why <laughs> I gave my book the title it has. Actually, it understates the reality. Um, death is, is the entrance to an extraordinary world that most of the dead tell us is actually real life. This is the illusion. Now, I have a question. Uh, do people experience death differently because of the where they came from here, like from their religion or their belief system. I mean, uh, well, if that that's kind of a uh, uh, yes, that they do. Our minds are very powerful. It turns out that the only thing that actually exists is mind, and our minds are part of mind with a capital M. So if we have very very strict religious beliefs or beliefs, uh, even non-religious beliefs, um, we can greatly affect the reality we enter at death which is one reason I tell people you've got to have an open mind. Um, We always are visited by um, uh, people we love as the the time gets closer. You know when Steve Jobs was dying last summer, and just a few hours before, I guess 12 hours before he died, he was looking at the faces of his children, and then his eyes lifted and he looked beyond them, and he said, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow, and then he never spoke again to the living. What he was seeing was the arrival of his greeters, his rescuers, the people who were going to come and take him to where he was going. We all have those greeters come to us. Um, But whether we go is kind of optional. We can go other places, too, and you don't want to. You want to leave with your greeters. So, um, yes, it does very much affect our experience of death and the period right after death if we have strong religious beliefs, but... I just tell people if you're open-minded and if you go with the people who come for you, you're just going to be just fine. You know, um, what, go ahead. I was going to say, is the afterlife aspect always different for people? Um, I mean, for instance, if they are really religious or if they have 
a right or wrong way of thinking how things should be and that kind of thing. Um, well, yes. What what can happen is this. There's a book out um, about an, I think, eight- or nine-year-old boy called, I think it's called Heaven is Real, and in it he has some very Christian-like experiences. What people don't understand is the place where he arrived um, during his near-death experience was what we call a hollow heaven, Um, There are a lot of places, and sometimes they're created just specifically for us, Um, a lot of places we can arrive that are not the general uh, uh, summer land that most of us enter at death. But if our belief system is very strong, we will go to a hollow heaven, which is just not the... It's hard to describe how they get created, but they exist and apparently they're permanent. And if we strongly believe something, we'll be attracted to them. So all the all the Christian-like things that this boy talks about were clearly created for him. There's no evidence anywhere that that's what actually happens at death. But children are, are who die or come close to dying are royalty, and he was treated like royalty. They they made a throne room for him and let him play in it, and he saw angels and various other things. They they tried to make him feel at home and not threaten what were his religious beliefs. But that's not real. Um, it's to make them feel comfortable. Yes, yes, because he was going back. People who have near-death experiences appear not to go to the same place we go to at death. In fact, they're often told if you go any farther, you won't be able to go back. Um, there's a point of no return. But what happens is there are there are about seven levels, energy-based levels of reality that other than the one we think we inhabit, and they all exist in the same place exactly where we are, um, just like when you have a, a, a television sitting there, there are a whole bunch of channels, you're just watching one of them, but all those other energy frequencies are in this room at the same time. You could pick them up just as well. And um, the there are most of those seven or so that exist that are of a higher frequency than this one are, are just as solid as this. Heaven is solid. Um, what happens at death is really simple. Your mind right now is tuned to the universe channel and, in fact, to the specific frequency of a body that thinks that that you're operating in the universe reality. When you die, your mind simply tunes to a higher frequency and it is attracted to one of the levels of the afterlife, the one to which you are spiritually suited, but it's right here. So you literally just change channels. Your mind is eternal. It never began. It never will end. And it exists with all with all other minds in eternity, and you're just having a real strange dream. That's all that this life is. Now, uh, if you were highly medicated just before death, would that disturb any of the um, um, going leaving? What what usually seems to happen is the more medicated you are, the less you report, of course, to the living about what's going on around you. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also seem to fall asleep here and just wake up there uh, oh. rather than being conscious of the transition. Um, the transition is fun, so I don't tend to be medicated when my turn comes because I want to sort of experience the transition. But it is common for people who die in hospitals and are medicated to just fall asleep here and wake up in what seems at first to be their favorite home on earth. Or sometimes they wake up in a hospital if they've been damaged, not physically but mentally. If, they're, if for some reason it's felt that they're, they need extra help, they'll wake up in a hospital there. But if, they, uh, if it's just a natural death, 
they'll wake up in their living room and they'll say, oh, my goodness. And all around them will be all the people that they missed and loved. You know, their grandparents are looking young and everybody looks young and happy. And they we're told by the dead that sometimes the people who who die that way, who just transition in their sleep, don't believe they're dead. They have to be taken outdoors and said, all right, look around. Does this look like what was around your house, you know, back on Earth? And then they say, okay, maybe I am dead. But um, death is that benign and that lovely. Um, the Summerland is extraordinarily beautiful. It's the, it's like the most beautiful Earth landscapes you could possibly imagine. And what happens is we people who love us build us homes there. Usually the first spouse to die will build the family's home uh, as it looked, you know, on Earth, only it looks, of course, new and lovely and surrounded by beautiful flowers that are permanent. No flower ever fades, no leaf ever falls, but intense greens and colors of flowers that we cannot imagine because they go beyond the visible light spectrum. A lot of the dead talk about those flowers and how beautiful they are. I know someone that was connected to John Lennon, and he described it that way. Really? Well, see, that's the thing. The, the the great thing about doing this research and what makes it so addictive is that they're all talking about the same place. When I started to do this work, I really thought I would read a lot of accounts and I'd pick, I'd, I'd find a few things that were consistent across several of them and start to think, that's probably real because four of them reported on a certain thing, the color of the flowers, for example. But I have not, in decades of doing this research, encountered any reports which were purportedly coming from the dead, which were not consistent with all the others. I can't remember a single one except one which I think was generated in 1910, and I think it may actually have been a novel, but I'm not sure about that. But that's it. I've read thousands of accounts, and they're all the same. And not only that, I can't remember ever reading two that were repeated, you know, a a story that keeps coming up. Um, That's how terrific and intensive and complete the evidence is that we have, which most people have no idea about, which is tragic now, when you think about it. Where, what's the background of your research? I mean, did uh, did you go to people that had near-death experiences? No. Uh, what, what, what really happened was um, I started right after college, um, which was very early 70s, and it was a really pathetic time because... This evidence all existed, had been around for a long time, but you had to find a way to get into it. So I would go to libraries, I'd try to find things. And then when I found a book that was remotely related, um, I would go to its bibliography and start reading those books. Um, It was not really until probably the very end of the 70s, early 80s, that, um, you know, again, one of the wonderful things that Dr. Raymond Moody did for us when he did Life After Life in 1975 and got interest in that book he he uh, generated a lot of interest in what happens after death and so there was a flowering at the end of the 70s early part of the 80s of of books popularly written and popularly published which which had all this information in them and they led me back to start reading um the the great amount of literature that was generated uh in say from about early probably the first 30 to 40 years of the 20th century was the heyday. And the reason is simple. Um, In the latter part of the 19th century, spiritualism was hot. Um, People, this was, you know, before you had electric lights or right at the time of electric lights coming in, um, but certainly before the radio, uh, people would get together of an evening and they would have dinner and then the men would go off with their cigars and the women would sit in the dark and do table tipping 
which um, is a way of communicating with the dead. And there always was one or two people at that table who was a natural psychic. And doing this really seems to have developed their abilities. So um, by the early part of the 20th century, some of those people had become terrific deep trance mediums. Um, and what would happen would be they would become, they would go so deeply into trance that they were able to withdraw from their bodies. And a dead psychic called a control would take over and would be giving very detailed information, not like what you get through psychic mediums at all, because the dead person has your grandpa right there with him. And rather than um, any guessing about who you're talking to, grandpa would be full of whoever he was. So he would say, I know you can't find the will, but you dummies, it's right where I told you it was. It's in the bottom sock drawer, but I don't know who put all those newspapers down on top of it. They'll never find it. Go look in that drawer. That's where it is. And it would be there. Very detailed information um, came in the early, you know, through these deep trans mediums in the first two, three decades of the 20th century. But then came the radio, and people stopped developing psychic abilities nearly to the extent that they've done it. There, there still are deep trans mediums today, but very, very few. That's probably where the spiritualist church started. That's right. It was part of this flowering of interest in the latter part of the of the 19th century. Um, and and the tragedy of doing this research to me is what you discover the the role that both religion and science have played in keeping this the truth from us. Um, it's a it's a, it's literally an unholy conspiracy. Uh, religions I blame less because they're closed they're closed systems they they intend to be closed systems and they don't tell you any different they don't claim to know the truth so re- religions um you know stopped getting revelation you know 100 years ago 500 1000 years ago they don't want to know about this um because they have a certain idea about what happens at death they don't want anyone to get in the way of that but science is supposed to be an open-minded interest in pursuing truth wherever it leads and what happened was in the 19th century Psi abilities, um, you know, the ability to read people's minds and things, started to be in- discovered, and uh, science said, absolutely impossible, impossible. Um, so then we started to get the deep trans mediums with all this great information they were producing, and so when that started to become known, scientists said, oh, they're just reading minds. Suddenly then reading minds was acceptable. They're reading the minds of the people in the room. Whenever psychics work, they always have teams of dead people working with them, and those uh, teams... Um, when they discovered, when they realized that scientists were, were going to just stonewall them, they thought up tests for themselves to prove that they were alive. There are books still extant that you can buy, old, old, old books and old dusty bins, which are full of nothing but book tests. What they would do, and, and newspaper tests. Um, the dead would say through a, through a control of a psychic medium, they would say, go to a certain address, um, on the, at the top of the landing, uh, uh, there's uh, go to the right, and there's a room. Go to that room. There's a bookcase there on your left. Uh, first uh, shelf, fourth book in, open it. Uh, the book is red, and on the fourth page, the first line is going to be this. We don't know how they did it. Wow. But about 90% of the time, they were right. We don't know how they read closed books. But that was how they proved they couldn't be reading anybody's mind, right? That was not possible. So at that point, the scientists simply shut down any interest or inquiry into this. And the the, the, the touching thing about reading what was produced in the first half of the 20th century is that a lot of very serious researchers were 
doing work which they thought would open people's minds enough and would interest scientists enough that the truth would get out. And uh, their, their work is all still there for us to read. We stand on the shoulders of giants. But uh, science continues to the state of Stonewall it. What, what, what happened, too, in the early part of the 20th century is that quantum physics was discovered, established, became an established theory of, of physics. Um, in 1918, uh, Max Planck won the Nobel Prize for quantum physics. Uh, Max Planck understood very well what he had discovered. Quantum physics is the link between the physics of this level, which, and this is the only place in a, in a, in a much greater reality than the universe is. This is the only place that this level, this kind of physics exists, this Newtonian sort of solid physics. In the rest of reality, it's a variant of quantum physics. He got that. Max Planck completely got that. There are wonderful quotations from him about uh, things he said which, show, which showed he really understood what he had found. But um, although he is honored in his, for his discovery, he is not honored for his insights. And uh, for the last hundred years, quantum physics has been basically quantum physicists, generations of them have been trying to come up with other explanations because what quantum physics does is to show us that mind underlies all of reality. Basically, quantum physics allowed us to find God, or, or what God actually is, not what, what the religions tell us God is. God is eternal mind. And um, so it's, it's pretty frustrating uh, to, to do as I do and speak before a lot of groups and have this all be new information. It shouldn't be. This, this is your birthright. Everybody who hears my words should have been born with everyone around him already knowing the truth and, and talking about the truth. This shouldn't be a surprise. Well, I think and your research stalemate out there. <laughs> um, I actually have um, a, um, a listener that just called in, and they wanted to know if they were um, in great pain, should they still still um, persevere and to take the medicine and that kind of thing? Um, and I don't know whether or not they were are close to death. I have no answer for that. I just, uh, the question was placed before me just now. So, I, what do you have to say about that? Well, this is a really big topic because I'm often asked um, about suicide. What happens after death is that we have uh, a, the opportunity to experience every event of our lives uh, opportunity. We don't. It's, it's not optional. Everybody goes through it um, through a life review, and we get to feel how we made everybody else feel. And we, we, it's a, it's a very intensive experience. And then we have to forgive ourselves and forgive everybody else. And the problem is that forgiving yourself is a lot harder than you think it's, it's going to be. And people who have killed themselves just to avoid some unpleasantness on earth, or their wife left them, or something tend to feel very guilty because they, they realized after death that that was a, a, a good life lesson they had set for themselves as part of their life plan, and, uh, and they just blew it by killing themselves as opposed to going through it and learning from it. So they tend not to forgive themselves for that. But people who kill themselves uh, when they're sub-adult, uh, people who kill themselves because they're um, dying of something, don't seem to have any feeling of guilt at all. It doesn't seem to be a problem. So I would just say to your listener that if if it's if it's pain that is you're 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 going through a painful thing, but it's going to be survivable. 
I would take the medicine and try to get better because it's probably a life lesson you set for yourself, and you, you'll be sad if you don't go through it, much as it's hard to experience the pain. But someone who is dying of a terminal illness and is in pain, uh, go ahead and, and take, a, take a pill <laughs> that, that's going to end that. You don't have to go through that. But interestingly, people who are dying in pain uh, are almost never, in fact, I would say never, are in their bodies when the body seems to be going through such distress uh, at, at, in a terminal uh, situation. This seems to hold true of people who are being tortured to death, people who are in auto, awful auto accidents. Over and over again, they'll tell us they were out of their body before that car hit the tree. Um, suddenly they were seeing it from, from above. Um, there's a, death is meant to be a very gentle process, and it's meant not to be painful. Although the body sometimes seems to suffer, the mind does not. Now, on the other side, they they speak of uh, going through school, so to speak. So is this part of the what they call school when they do the review of their life? Before we're born, we write a lesson plan with our guides and with the people who are going to be important in our lives and with their guides. It's a very intensive thing, and we want to learn as much as we can. When When bad things happen to good people, that is virtually always something they've planned. Um, deaths of children are always planned ahead of time. I don't think there are any exceptions. Um, these are these are terrible things from this perspective, but when you realize you're eternal, you never began, you never will end, this is just a bad day in school, that's all that this whole lifetime is, when you realize that, um, and that bad things you can learn from much better often than you can learn from good things, it changes your perspective on, on some of the worst events of your lives. Yeah, this is just school. That's all this is. Do you believe in reincarnation through all your studies? I mean, do you believe that yeah. we come back? Oh, yeah. There, there is reincarnation. Here's, here's a catch-22 for you. Reincarnation absolutely happens. There's too much evidence for it for it not to be real. However, time is not real. Time is an illusion. Therefore, um, we do not reincarnate linearly. Um the, those who have tried to explain it to us, very advanced beings, have said, you can't understand it while you're in this illusion. You can't understand it from here. Don't even try. They say reincarnation is more like a bucket from which each lifetime gets dipped and back into which each lifetime is poured. Uh, another advanced being said, as a, for practical purposes, you need to understand all your lifetimes are happening at the same time. In fact, yeah, there are for- indications that it's possible for them to bleed into one another so that you would be uh, experiencing uh, suddenly experiencing something that's happening in a different lifetime. Brian, so that why maybe that dream? I'm sorry? Is that why you dream? Is that, is that you're living the lifetime when you're sleeping and resonating as well? No, what happens when you sleep is that you visit, you, you travel out of your body. We're all astral travelers. Um, you visit with your, your spirit guides, you take classes, you visit with the, your dead relatives in the summerland. You really are very busy when you're sleeping. Um, but just just to to um, finish, because people hearing me say that all your lifetimes are happening at the same time uh, or, or that there's no such thing as past or future um, are, are going to say, what? This woman is crazy. Uh, Einstein said it. Um, he said that the distinction between past, present, and future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. Uh, and in fact, Brian Weiss, who is the father of reincarnation, um, you know, past life therapy, he 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 takes you to 
to a past lifetime, which is the source of your fear of cats or your uh, some trauma in a previous lifetime made you uh, claustrophobic, and just reliving that experience in that in that past lifetime will cure the fear. Well, he found patients which for whom there was seems to be no past life cause. So he started experimenting with future life progression, and he found that there are people for whom some future trauma is causing trouble in this lifetime. Isn't that weird? Yes. <laughs> That's part of why this is addictive. Look at all the fun we can have thinking about this stuff. Well, this uh, probably explains deja vu. I mean, when you walk deja vu into... Can, yeah, a lot of things. Um, deja vu can be a, a future place you're going to be in another lifetime, or it can be a past experience that you're suddenly, that's why suddenly you're on a, a street in Rome, you suddenly it looks familiar to you or, or something. Or you meet someone and you say, you know, I really think I've met you before, but, you know, maybe you did, but not in this lifetime. Yeah, that happens quite often. Yes. Well, when I was in Bali, they, they, their belief, was, which is going along with what you're saying, is um, they celebrate death because they believe what you've been saying, how wonderful it is on the other side. It is. Yep. Yes. One of the things um, that's true, a couple, couple things I should say. The first is the Summerland seems to be universal, but it's very culturally specific so that there's a Chinese Summerland or a Bali Summerland, and they're from, they, they look as the uh, uh, people who are from those cultures would expect them to look. They don't look like the North American one or, or the English one, where much of this evidence was produced that I've, I've been reading. Um, they're, they're, so, for example, it's almost impossible for an accidental death to be accidental, but let's say for some very, you, by, by some fluke you, you managed to die a purely accidental death in China. You would go to the Chinese Summerland, and you would be very, very confused. And you'd say, "What? What's going on? Help!" <laughs> and immediately, those you love would come and get you. Um, it's almost never an accident when people seem to die accidentally. But just as a tip, if you find yourself looking at your body mangled in a car or in some, you know, or at the bottom of a swimming pool, and you say, "Oh my goodness, maybe I'm dead," and nobody's there, call for help right then. Don't don't wait, um, and because people who have been there say, as soon as you call for help, there are people there with you, and usually it's very advanced beings. Jesus will come for you. Then um, they they apologize for not being there when you actually left your body. Isn't that neat? <laughs> <laughs> now I'm gonna. I have an odd question. Um, my mother-in-law has dementia, and so she sees things, and people think she's making having delusions, but she says over and over again, there's people coming to get her. So yeah. do the greeters come ahead of time before, like a year before you die? Yes. Or um, yeah, it's most typical for them to come in the last few days. Um, it's a little bit late. What have to see jobs at 12 hours, I guess, ahead was, is a little bit late. But uh, usually they're, they come within a few days before you die. But they can be there much sooner, especially if um, someone is either a child or a very old person. Um, the, the the veil seems to thin somehow, and they they can they can spend a lot of time with people who um, we think are not real but are perfectly real, and, and they're greeters, you know, relatives, dead relatives. Children have um, um, playmates that everyone thinks are made up, and very often 
their their people from their uh, uh, you know, grandmothers and great grandmothers, people like that, um, will come and spend time with them. I know. Um, I had a friend that had a little girl that uh, no one in the family spoke Portuguese. Yeah. And and she would say these words, and nobody knew what she meant. And the, and the mother was in a Portuguese bakery once. And the lady said, are you Portuguese? And she said, no. And she goes, well, your little girl is speaking Portuguese. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> that could very well be from another lifetime that, uh-huh, that uh, was leading into this one. Isn't that interesting? I had a similar experience with a, my grandson who called my husband Papu. Almost his first word was he called him Papu. And apparently that's Greek for grandfather. Nobody in my family is Greek or speaks Greek, but <laughs> he knew Greek. And I know I started well, calling my grand, my grandmother Mimi, and my mother didn't know where that came from. And I and then Mimi is a grandmother in other languages, I think. Yes, yes, yeah. Wow. Or Mimi is in is, is grandma in French, I think. Yes, it's it's this is this is I, I sort of want to welcome people into this hobby because, as I say, it's all good news, and there's so much to learn, much more that we can talk about, even if we had all day to talk on the radio. Um, the, the fun of dying is meant to be um, a, a summary of what you can learn, and then it includes a study guide with rather extensive, well, she too, very short and very long study guides so that you can learn all this stuff for yourself. No one should believe me on the radio. Everyone should, should try to understand for themselves just by doing a little re, little research. Well, we want to let people, the listeners, know. Let, let, let's tell the listeners who we're talking. We're talking to Roberta Grimes. And she's the author of The Fun of Dying. Okay, go ahead, Taz. Um, Roberta, what? Um, how do we make the most um, spiritual progress while on Earth, um, while we're here? I mean, like really paying attention and and um, what the, the process here? That's a great question. Um, one of the things that I learned, and actually what made me pro- really prompted me to write the book, is that um, we have a witness from 2,000 years ago who said uh, that he knew all this stuff. And uh, I've discovered that Jesus told us things about God, reality, death, and the afterlife, and the purpose of life, all of that, that we couldn't have confirmed until at least the 20th century. Uh, it's impossible for... for uh, Given that kind of weird corroboration over 2,000 years, it's impossible for Jesus not to be real, and it's impossible for the evidence not to be real. The the, the, the odds against chance for so many correspondences between the teachings of Jesus and the Gospels and the afterlife evidence are, are just too great. And Jesus said, you're here to learn to love and you're here to learn to forgive. The afterlife evidence over and over says, we're here to learn to love, we're here to learn to forgive. There probably are other lessons that we're trying to learn as well, uh, especially more advanced beings who happen to be among us now. But for 99% of us, learning to love perfectly, learning to forgive completely, those are the hard ones, and that's why we're here. And everything that happens to you, um, A Course in Miracles, which is a whole other story, A Course in Miracles is a is a channeled work from the 1960s that I think is probably genuine. And And it says everything that happens in your life is either love or a call for love, one or the other. So no matter how nasty people seem, no matter how much you want to hate someone, your job is to love and forgive that person, no matter who it is. And that's how you make spiritual progress. 
I was going to say it's interesting. Uh, recently, since a lot of the solar eclipses are taking place here, it's amazing how um, that I've seen how uh, many uh, groupings of uh, particular things that happen in your life, and they all lead back to what you're exactly talking about. <laughs> that you can love that individual and you can forgive them. And I, it's just amazing. And when all of the, it's kind of like a, a, a gathering of uh, in capsules, like uh, things that have taken place, and you can see it, and you can see then the whole, the whole, um, what is it, the whole string of thought that weaves into all of them. And um, and it's exactly the love or forgiveness, exactly. It, it, the the love, I think, is is the core um the core lesson we're here to learn. And fortunately, learning to love is is pretty easy. It's it's just a it's like a muscle we all have and our job is just to learn to flex it more and more. Um there are exercises that you can do which will take whatever love you feel in your life for anyone and let you stretch it um uh, to cover more and more people. But you should be able to eventually look at every person, every stranger, every person you maybe don't like and still love that person. That's the goal. Um, love, love is what binds us all together because, we, tr- in truth, since we're all part of mind, we're all one being. There isn't a separation. The separation is illusion. Um, we are all one being. It's forgiveness, though, that's the tricky part. Um, it's hard to forgive people. We love to hold grudges. And we need to learn to forgive here. And I tell people the main reason you need to forgive here is there will come a time soon after you graduate to the next level when you're going to get the opportunity to forgive yourself, and that's going to be the hard part. I've never seen a a, a reported case of someone who didn't forgive everybody else. I don't care what they did to you, murdered your child, you were killed in the Holocaust. Everybody, everybody forgives after death because you realize it it wasn't even really real. But forgiving yourself is the hard part because you get to to, to... See, all the effects you've had on people, the people that, uh, you know, maybe you did something just thoughtless to uh, you, you, someone was overweight and you said something nasty. I don't know. Any little thing that we get to experience all of that over again. And most of the people who go through it, uh, and, and, we, and we get to see how we made that person feel. We, we, we feel in ourselves how we made that person feel. Those who go through it say that the hard part isn't the big things that we did with it were major screw-ups because we kind of remember that we did those things. The hard part is seeing how every day, all day long, we're doing thoughtless, stupid, careless things to other people that hurt them. And that's hard to forgive. So the main reason to learn how to forgive everybody is, A, you're going you're gonna to forgive them after death. You may as well forgive them now. And B, the more you learn to forgive, the easier it's going to be when you have to forgive yourself. Now, do you believe in ghosts or entities that stay behind? Yes. Um, yeah, I don't like to, but you have to believe in what you see evidence of. What's, there are a lot of ways that people can become earthbound. Um, I've, most people who are earthbound are perfectly benign. Um, I think it is most common, you know, older houses will be haunted. And I think it mostly happens because people who have just died and remember, we had a lot more young people dying um, 200 years ago, even 100 years ago, than we have now. Before before antibiotics, it was not uncommon for for young people to die. And what seems to have happened was that 
they tried to comfort the living because as soon as they were out of their bodies, of course, they they could see that that um, you know their mother or their their spouse or someone was devastated and and mourning at the bed and. They wanted to say, "Hey, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm just, I'm just going to take off now, but I'm fine." But they, if if you focus on the living, and here's another tip: if you focus on the living right after your death, you will lose your ability to perceive the higher energy level that you're supposed to be going to, and you get stuck um, in, and, and you're stuck out of time. You don't realize time is passing. So uh, people will talk about, you know some woman that looks like she's dressed in an, in another, uh, you know, maybe in the 1700s clothing, who keeps going through the wall. Well, there was a door there when that house was, was first built, and she's just going about her routine. She has no idea it's 300 years or 200 years later. So that's, that's apparently not uncommon. And each of those people has to be rescued. Um, people, their attempts are made all the time to rescue them. In fact, that's one of the things that we can enjoy doing after we've graduated we can spend a little time trying to do rescue work since we're still fairly close to the earth's vibrational level um but yeah there are there are bad reasons people become earthbound too people can choose to stay behind because they're afraid to go to hell because um uh, uh, people who are addicted people who are alcoholics or who have um an addiction to some drug or something um will sometimes choose to stay and then we'll hang around in bars and things trying to because once you become drunk your 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 spiritual defenses are down you can end up picking up earthbounds this is a bad thing and and again because science is so willfully ignorant about what reality is um people have no idea what's going on with but a lot of people who are uh addicts who are uh, alcoholics uh, it's not just them who has the craving. They've got other people riding along uh, who who really crave whatever that uh, into that um, substance is, whether it's alcohol or drugs. I hate believing this. I have to tell you, I, it's one of the last things I accepted. But I, it's, there's so much evidence of it. I have to believe it's true. Well, can somebody that's um, in mourning for the person that has died and is really uh, suffering because they they're depressed and sad, can they keep the other person from going because the other person's staying to try to take care of them? They they can hold their loved one in a kind of mezzanine state. The person, the loved one isn't truly earthbound and, and uh, he's he's made the transition but isn't able to fully go ahead and, uh, and fully graduate. Uh, and that's a bad thing. Um, that's another reason people have got to. It's our responsibility to learn what happens at death because um, otherwise we mourn excessively for people who really, really deserve to go on and enjoy this time. Um, the period, time after death is like a, an R&R, a honeymoon, a gorgeous time of life. And, yes, it's possible to hold people back. So it's our job to learn enough so that we miss them, but we know we're going to see them again, and we let them go for a little time. Yeah, I, I've um, counseled people, and I, that's what I tell them. You know, the the quicker you get over it, the the faster they can leave and go on to their next level. And, and it's not like they're gone. They're right here. And communication um, is a – there's a lot of communication going on that we're not even aware of, uh, especially uh, people who are newly dead. There are so many signs they give us that that uh, they're right here with us. They use electricity a lot. 
um, manipulate lights, manipulate televisions. Um, they they produce scents. That's very common. Um, you'll suddenly smell a familiar uh, perfume or something that so you associate. Uh, my brother-in-law did it for me with cigarette smoke, which um, I don't know any smokers but him. And after not long after he died, he gave me a real big whiff of cigarette smoke. He's done other things too. He's a very powerful <laughs> spirit. But um, they there there are books which um, Hello from Heaven by the Guggenheims is probably the classic. But there are uh, there are whole books full of of signs. My next book is supposed to be the fun of staying in touch, which talks about all the different kinds of signs that they give us. I mean, flowers out of season, butterflies, birds out of season. Um, there are a lot That'd of things. Uh, coins, coins are very common. Uh, I mean, you think that you know you see find a penny on the ground, it doesn't mean much. Well, if you start seeing um, a lot of pennies. Pick them up and notice the dates. Very often they'll be carrying a birth date, a death date, or a marriage date. Um, people will see combinations of coins, two quarters and a penny, and that may be because the bad guy died at 51. These are communications, but people don't pay attention to them. Hearing a, ra- hearing a song on the radio out of the blue that turns out to be the song you dance to at your wedding, or when you get in the, the uh, elevator you, or, or go into a store, the music is suddenly playing an important song. Or, or uh, uh, just all kinds of. Um, <laughs> there, the signs are everywhere. Um, my, my, my brother-in-law will, will, will uh, there's a light that will not go in my, my sister's kitchen, and the only time that he will put that light on is if I'm in the kitchen. If you don't think she resents that, she really does. <laughs> um, but, but it, it wouldn't be a sign if it went on every time she went in. But if I go into that kitchen, um, he will. And I'm not psychic at all. It's just that it's his way of giving a sign. So she told me that yesterday she spoke with our cousin, and she was complaining to our cousin about him and how he will never allow that light to go on. Um, it's just a faulty light uh, unless I'm there. And, and I only visit her, you know, I haven't been there since probably a month. So she said, you know, I hung up the phone after talking to her. This was just yesterday. And I went into the kitchen, and that one time that light turned on. So he heard her complaint, and he gave her a little comfort there. <laughs> a lot of times phones will ring, too. Phones I mean, will ring. That from- yes. It's less common, um, and, and, but, they, but, but you're right. That's a whole other area. And, and there have been cases of phone calls coming from a dead person. The person actually spoke. More commonly, yeah. the phone will, will ring, and there will be nobody there, and you'll discover um, that uh, that there's no record that that actually was a was a real phone call. If, if you're able to, to um, uh, for example, in a cell phone, if there's if there's a record there uh, of all your calls, it, this call didn't happen. My friend's uh, boyfriend just oh, my friend's boyfriend just passed away, and uh, she said she opened up the computer and she didn't go into her email or anything, and this email just popped up from him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he, and he, <laughs> Yeah. And she had read it before because he'd wrote it, but I mean, it was like it was all about forgiveness. Perfect. See, that's a sign. Yeah. Uh, there's no question about that. That is a sign. That's what they do. I've actually had a lady call me in the middle of the night, and she was dead, and I didn't know it. And I found out about maybe two weeks after that. But I could hear her voice and the whole thing. Could hear the phone ring, and I, I picked it up, and like I was answering it, and she, she gave her message, and she hung up. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> yeah. 
It is so it is so astonishing. Um, it's the more you get into it, the more exciting it is, and the more you see um, how we are all so closely connected. And that helps very much to ease grief. It helps people to feel more as if they um, they haven't really lost someone. You know, maybe they can't see him right now, but he's very much there. Um, one of the things that I'm involved in is afterlifeforums.com, forums with an S. Afterlifeforums.com uh, is a place to just discuss this stuff. And uh, people who are newly bereaved will come there and, and will, um, or people who just have questions, uh, or people who are dying. And, and we, we help them to find this, this evidence. Um, we, we've just been helping uh, one woman who was des- just desperate for some kind of of awareness that her husband was okay. And to watch her feel better and watch her begin to counsel other people just in a few months is so wonderful. I mean, that's just a gift to me to see that happen. Mm-hmm. It is. So that, I mean, you've, you really are um, creating a forum for people who are um, going through tremendous... It, you know when they're uh, grieving, and I'm, you're really doing a lot out there with your forums and um, the people you blog with, and um, it's tremendous. I mean, there needs to be more of this. Well, uh, we're trying to get the word out. Um, it's 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 going to happen. There is an awareness um, uh, now all over the world that what's dawning is a new level, uh, it's, it, it's sort of a raising of the consciousness of the planet. What seems to have happened is that after we started exploding atomic bombs in the Second World War, um, the not, not just our dead, the people in the, the levels uh, you know, above us, uh, it's right where we are, um, but also uh, people in other, on other planets um, have become very concerned about us. Ours is a very useful planet. It's apparently the toughest planet, but the best planet on which to make spiritual progress. Um, but we we are one of very few civilizations that have advanced spiritually more slowly than we've advanced technologically, and that's very dangerous. So an, uh, an effort's ongoing right now to raise the consciousness of the Earth. It's, it's a very big project, um, and a lot of people are involved in it, as and you are involved in it yourself. Um, we're not aware. We're, we're just all trying. We think we're doing our own little thing, but we are all working together to get the word out to everybody so that everybody will start thinking differently, will learn these things, will grow spiritually, and uh, and will turn away from uh, the kind of destructive behavior that characterized the 20th century, which was an unbelievably bloody and disgusting, horrendous time. This century is brand new. We can make it, we, with the help of those who are trying to guide us and help us, can make it a whole new birth of, of a whole new level of human um, understanding, growth, love, peace. Roberta, if somebody yeah. wants to blog with you, where would they go? Um, I, if they come to afterlifeforums.com, I can be contacted through there. Funofdying.com, just uh, the contact um, um there we'll, I will get an email and we can email. And I love hearing from people. Um, I've, I, I hear stories. I get questions. Um, it's just it's just wonderful. It's it's really part of the fun of afterlife forums is that it's all over the world. So 
some of the people I've become friends with are in, in you know, Australia and and uh, European countries. It's it's fun. This is all such fun. I would imagine that you could write a book just about what you've heard on the forums. It's it's going to be, get to that point. Yes, um, I'm still practicing law. I, eventually, I'll get it right, but not yet. Um, <laughs> that's a very old joke. Um, I'm still practicing law because I it feels like a ministry to me. I, I work with business owners. They're going through a tough time now with the economy, and uh, and I love them. I love what I do with them. So I'm not ready to stop working yet. Um, and I, and my, so I, my time is more limited, but eventually this will be all that I do. It will be afterlife education. And what I've seen that I've never seen before uh, on one of the websites, uh, conferences, afterlife oh, yes. conferences. Yes. And I've, that's fairly new. I haven't seen that type of conference before. No, the, the, there was one last year. Um, there, These are conferences not just for people who are working in these in this field. There have always been very good conferences that you could go to if you if this was your thing. But conferences open to the public are new. Um there there's a banner on afterlifeforums.com. We're we're going to update it when we get the um the the date of the second of the two conferences. But there now are two annual conferences people can go to in the United States. Um, and there, there's hope to put some in other countries as well, where you as a layperson just trying to learn things can go and, and learn from people who have made this their life's work. Um, I presented at one conference in Phoenix um, in April, and it was great. I loved meeting so many people who were just developing an interest now. At whatever age they were, suddenly this was something that they were feeling called to learn about. And that's not an accident. I mean, that's all part of the raising of the consciousness of the planet. But it's exciting to be part of it. And it's exciting just to think that we're living more than one life at a time and and (laughs) what we see. (laughs) It is mind-blowing. The more you learn, the more your mind is totally blown by all this stuff. But it does all fit together. Time really is an illusion. Um, We can't imagine living without it. But in the afterlife levels, it's very flexible, very subjective. Uh, seems to be what you want it to be. Um, there, there is a there's a sense there of eternity and infinite time, infinite space in which to do whatever you like. Because of course, we do have infinite time. This is just a very brief minute out of that infinity of, that that we're spending here. It gives you a very different perspective on on your life here. Um, when you understand that you're living on a much bigger stage than you ever dreamed. Now, do you uh, handle time differently now that that you understand it more? I mean, that it's really not real. I mean, but, but in your the, personal life. I, well, I no, I never have enough time still because I'm still living in the illusion of time that we all are living in. But what it has done is to make me a much better person. Um, I, just as a fact, I mean, you, you, you stop caring about things like money, um, or status, or, uh, you know, being in the right club, or any of that. You really start caring about other people much more deeply than before. Um, and you, 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 you're much happier. I can't tell you how happy it makes you when you really get that you're an eternal being, that, that all the, the things that, could threaten you are, are, are don't exist. Um, they, it's, it's, 
as a, as a Course in Miracles says, nothing real can be threatened, nothing unreal exists, in la, and that lies the peace of God, and it's true. I used to be afraid of the dark. Now I could sit in the dark all night. I'm not afraid of anything. It does change your life completely to learn these things, which is another reason I hope that your listeners will investigate. Um, the Fun of Dying's uh, um, study guide is available for free at funofdying.com if you if you don't yeah. want to get the book. The book is available primarily from Amazon, although East West carries it too in in uh, in um, Mountain View, and a few other bookstores carry it. But it's a uh, it's, but since it's been two years, it tends to be something you get from Amazon, basically. Well, I know that uh, you you visited the Bay Area recently, and uh, yes, and people just loved you. <laughs> well, I loved them. This was my second trip there. I was there in December, and uh, for various reasons, I came back in June, and we even had more people this time than we had in December, and it was so much fun. What wonderful people! Um, they asked me to come back to East West and to a couple of the other places, and I'm hoping to do that again either in May or June of next year. Make it an annual thing. Well it helps yeah, people let's release you know, it helps people to release their their mind and open up and and be open to new um pieces of information that could really make their life better. And uh it's such a gift you bring. Oh bless you. Let's give out your let's give out your websites one more time so that people can uh take a look and explore and um, have fun and possibly order your book, well, the, the Fun book of the, Dying. The, the Fun of Dying, find out what really happens next, um, and that's available from Amazon or from East West Bookstore in Mountain View and a few other places. Um, funofdying.com, is, uh, you can contact me through that website, and uh, you also can get the study guide there. Afterlifeforums.com is um, a, just a general afterlife information and discussion uh, website where we do counseling of one another and and people who have who didn't know much and came and started to do the reading and stuff have begun to be have begun to be the best counselors which thrills me to see people uh who had been been hurting now able to help others who are are trying to learn and and feel better about a, a death or some problem they're having um but but uh, I love being there I love counseling people there and, and I'd love to have people come and and just check us out so that's afterlife forums with the, which is plural. With plural, yeah. On it. yeah. Yeah. So the singular was taken, so we said, "What the heck?" and made it plural. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being with us today. We thoroughly enjoyed it. This hour went so quickly, and, um, <laughs> and I'm sure oh our gosh. listeners loved hearing all this. Thank you for having me. I've had a wonderful time. I'm so glad we were yeah. able to do this. Yeah, we did too. So thank you, and have a great day. Thanks. And, you uh, too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. And that was Roberta Grimes, the author of The Fun of Dying.